Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dear Diary, May 30th, 2008. Well, I've decided to go next week to Utah. I'm pretty stoked about it. It works for my budget and my schedule. I mentioned my road trip to Travis. He didn't sound all that thrilled for me. My heart aches because he hurts. When you read her journals, the sense of the person that you get is Jody is someone who is very empathetic. She's the type of person who would never kill a spider, never step on a cricket. He also began to sweet talk, guilt me. He actually made me regret my itinerary for a few moments. When you read the journals, especially the ones in 2007 to 2008, it is heartbreaking. He is incredibly persuasive. I have a few more things to do, and then I'm hitting the road. Five things I'm grateful for. One, babies. Two, pizza. Three, the shape of my body. Four, my hair. And five, Travis Alexander. to murder trials, even high-profile ones. But even those can't hold a candle to the spectacle that is the Jody Arias murder trial. Hundreds of people would be outside the court. I had a woman actually put her hands on my shoulders and kind of spin me around and say, I hope she burns in hell. So just craziness. Throughout this trial, you will hear that Jody was indeed forced. My name is Jennifer Wilmot, and I was second chair counsel for Ms. Arias. I was first signed in January 1st of 2012. I finished in April of 2015. I dedicated my entire practice to Jody's case. And on June 4th of 2008, it had reached a point of no return. There's been a lot of things said about Jody that were manipulated, that were wrong, were downright untruthful. I have not spoken about this trial um, in any of the different medias. I'm always very concerned about um, my words being manipulated and somehow being used against Jody. In fact, 
behind the smiles and these photographs, there was a whole nother reality. For the first time, I kind of felt like maybe this will be a more balanced report versus something that's just sensationalized. My name is Maria De La Rosa, and I was um, Jody Arias' mitigation specialist in a death penalty case. Two attorneys, an investigator, and a mitigation specialist must represent a client. My job includes to go back to find out how they were raised, any possible psychological issues, anything that can help us understand why the client is where it is today. When I first met Jody, she wasn't the person that I expected to be. She was a very nice, soft-spoken, uh, friendly person. Jody journaled and wrote in a diary most of her life since she started to be able to write. She had journals from middle school on up. And we had access to those journals. I have part of uh, Jody's journal that I think describes a lot of their relationship, um, where she says, I like it when we cuddle. That's the very, very best. best. On, on my bad, bad days, he brings me up. But I fear I rely on him too much for that. He invariably suggests that we both de-stress by, well, being naughty. And although it's a temporary release, I think it's causing more problems. The record will show the presence of the jury, the defendant, and all counsel. Mr. Nermy? Yes, the defense calls Jody Arias. Arias, please stand to be sworn. Please, right now. Do you solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God? Yes, I Please be seated. You may proceed. I want to ask you a couple of important questions before we start talking about who you are and why you're here. Did you kill Travis Alexander on June 4th, 
you know, said, hey, I'm going to Cancun next week, you know, I'll see you after. When Michelle called me saying, hey, have you heard from Travis? I said, he's in Cancun. And she said, well, I'm with Mimi, and they're supposed to leave tomorrow. I immediately told them, let's go to his house and see if he's there. Michelle called me again. Hey, we're at Travis's house, but no one's answering the door. So I told Michelle, just go in through the garage. Michelle said, hey, Travis's car is here. She went into his office. His cell phone and his computer and his keys are on the desk. At that point, I'm starting to get a little worried and nothing's really making sense. You know, and I'm doing this all over the phone through Michelle, just trying to urge them, just go look in his room. remember Michelle exclaiming that there was blood everywhere you know saying he's not alive I immediately was racing in my car blowing by every stop sign speeding very fast I was just trying to imagine what what would explain him being dead in his bathroom Never in a million years did I imagine that it was going to be a murder. There's nothing in the world that can help you make sense of what happened. Because, you know, you, you're a group of friends that feel... Tuesday, 3 a.m., June 10th, 2008. This is horrendous. The most awful thing I've ever had to deal with. I'm in total shock right now. It hasn't fully hit me. This can't really be real. This can't really be happening. Travis is dead. middle of the night the phone rang I woke me up and I said hey and he said Chris T-Dog's dead and I just remember um, kind of howling you know like no 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 and the first thing I recall saying when I got off the phone was Jody did it Jody did it Judy was uh, raised in Salinas, California. 
Jody's parents were Bill and Sandy areas. Bill, for most of his life, owned restaurants. Sandy worked different jobs. Sometimes she was a receptionist. Sometimes she helped Bill with the restaurant. At times, she was a homemaker. Sandy, she would greet us. I think she was like a hostess because she'd always seat us and she'd always come and talk with my mom. It was like a, like, like a coffee shop, I guess. They had pie and the food was good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm a relative of Jody Arias. I don't want my identity to be revealed because I had some um, backlash because of my last name, you know. I, it was really weird, it was on Facebook and had a lot of uh, negativity towards the last name. So I just didn't want to be, I don't know, uh, I'm nervous, sorry. <laughs> um, Jody would always be right with her mom. She was real friendly. She'd come up and, and chat with us, you know, like little kids do. But really sweet. She's sweet. When I was little, I used to tell my mom that I'm going to construct an alternative city. A city of goodness. And I was going to give all the streets fruit names, like Strawberry Street, Orange Way, Banana Boulevard, Apple Drive, Grapefruit Avenue, and Kiwi Court. And if I ran out of fruit, I'd use veggies. And if I ran out of veggies, I'd use flavors. French Vanilla Drive, Mint Way, Bubblegum Alley, and so on. As Judy became a teenager, the father started having health issues. Sandy, her mother, had family in Wairika, and she wanted to be close to them so that she can get some support. So they moved to Wairika. It was very traumatic for Jody. It's a very small town. There's hardly anything there. Jody wasn't accepted as well at the beginning. Monday, November 20th, 1995. Lately, I haven't been able to go more than 15 minutes without fighting back tears. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be in Wairika. I miss my friends. My name is Christopher Black, and I was a friend of Jody Arias. I think I was 20 years old when I first met her. Jody was just 17, 18. Wairika High had a lot of diversity. You had a whole bunch of different kids from a whole bunch of different schools converging and all trying to get along in Wairika High. Today in my history class, I was all by myself. When my friend came over to me and asked me why I was a loner, I told him 
Come to a new school where everyone has known everyone for 15 years and try to break into their little cliques. As she got older, the home wasn't as happy as she wanted it to be. There were issues. Bill was a little aggressive. He was a little abusive with the kids. My parents would spank or hit us as discipline. It seemed like at age seven, it started to get a little more intense. That's the first year my dad started using the belt. Defense calls Dr. Robert Geffner. Sir, please come forward right up here to be sworn. My name is Robert Geffner. I'm a psychologist. I am a distinguished research professor of psychology at Alliant International University. If you look up here, this is 65. I oversaw this case. I was the lead psychologist. With me, though, over the whole two and a half years, ended up being probably about 10 of our staff working on one aspect or another of this case. Jody had a very poor relationship with her father. He had a dysfunctional father and it appeared that he was pretty well carrying on that tradition. Now at this point in time, how did it make you feel? When I was younger, I remember feeling, I didn't have a word for it then, but I can describe it as betrayed um, and confused. And as I got a little bit older, it would just really make me mad. She developed a bad temper and she and her mother would argue regularly. She did not like her mother at that time, and they would get into fights. Um, so she would do disruptive things. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't resist. The sweet-smelling smoke of the green cannabis. I began to do it at the worst of times. I can't believe it going through my mind. Hit after hit, joint after joint, I kept getting lit. What was the point? She began growing marijuana. Her parents found plant and they were very angry with her. They called the sheriff's office, they came over. Jody was embarrassed, was angry. She lost trust in her mother and her father. For what I understand, their relationship was never the same. Her first boyfriend was uh, Bobby Juarez. Bobby was a very strange kid. He lived in this mobile home with a relative. There wasn't electricity, there wasn't running water, and he dressed all in black. <laughs> he was a very reclusive shut-in, a giant in his own mind, but at the same time lived in filth. Jody had to do everything for him, and that was a lot. And that's what I didn't like to see. It was very, very one-dimensional. Jody fell in love with him, and for about a year or so, they lived together. 
she dropped out of school. She started working as a waitress at that point to support Bobby and her. Jody seemed to be working at pleasing the men she was with, trying to tailor herself toward them, to please them. And I don't mean that necessarily from a, a real negative manipulative standpoint, but actually more of uh, if they were happy, she was happy type thing. So working at Danny's, was this how you were supporting yourself and Mr. Wells? Yes, that's, that became our, our income. Were you making a lot of money? Um, well, the cost of living wasn't very high. I would, I would say no, but we were making ends meet because I didn't have rent or mortgage. At this point in time, uh, how did Bobby treat you? Um, I thought he treated me well um, until I discovered that he wasn't being faithful. His infidelity didn't surprise me at all. The way he treated her, he, yeah, he treated her like a chauffeur, not as a person that he cared about. He'd have to give her little, little dollops of affection just to <laughs> keep her happy enough to keep tagging along. Every day, I grow to hate myself more and more. I hate what I've become. I hate, I hate the mess I'm in. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate myself. Hate, 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 I hate myself. God, kill me, please. Finally, Jody got tired of it and left. Big Sur, California is also in Monterey County, like Salinas. Um, I've never been there. The resort is called Ventana Inn and Spa. Now, was that the resort where you met Daryl Brody? Yes. Jody and I worked together for three and a half, almost four years. She always had wonderful relationships with her customers. Daryl Brewer was her boyfriend with Daryl's uh, little boy, and they were they were always hold hands when they would leave the building to walk to the car. It was actually cute to watch. We ended up speaking with a number of witnesses who talked about how sweet and kind Jody was to Daryl's son, how wonderful she was to his family members, how they all liked her. If she is in a relationship with somebody who is caring and kind and respectful, she'll be fine. At the time, my goal was marriage and children, at least someday. I became a little more disenchanted in the relationship. We were going in different directions. We had different visions of our future. Jody had always wanted kids, and I believe that that was maybe an issue that was not going to happen, continuing in a relationship with Daryl. So their relationship, while it didn't go sour in the sense that it became negative, it just was something that didn't seem like it was going to work out. So I believe that that's where they were when she met Travis. While you were at this convention, did you ever meet an individual by the name of Travis Alexander? Yes. Describe for us where you were and what was going on when you met Travis Alexander.
Travis and Jody met in September of 2006 in Las Vegas at a prepaid legal convention. Basically what they do is for $25 a month, you've got access to the best attorneys in the country. These were huge conventions, 10, 15,000 people. It was a big deal for us. Actually, the day it all started, Travis met Jody in the hotel, and Jody had just become a part of Prepaid Legal, and they had this instantaneous connection. The first night they met, they hung out until about 4 o'clock in the morning, just talking in the lobby. Travis really liked that Jody was into personal development. She was very interested in building a business in prepaid legal, and he just loved talking to her. He gives me butterflies. He's so wonderful in every way. He takes my breath away at times. No joke. Travis did really well in prepaid legal. He was easily able to recruit people, and he was a great leader because he was an incredible speaker. He bought a big, beautiful home. He's renting it out. He's got multiple streams of income coming in. He bought a luxury car. He's starting to upgrade. He's got this closet full of custom-made suits and clothing, and he, he absolutely lived above his means. <laughs> I mean, no doubt about it. Women started throwing themselves at him. T-Dog, what happened, dude? I'm going like 80, 90 miles an hour, one leg up like that, and uh, did this little ridge. Did a barrel roll like Top Gun, dude, like Maverick style. When Jody meets Travis, he, he's pretty much on a pedestal. The public perception of him is that he's very successful, he's very gregarious. So from the moment that she meets him, she meets this outstanding personality. And that's who she thinks he is. And that outstanding personality is interested in her. In the initial stages of Jody and I meeting, I thought she was really nice. We would hang out. We'd go shopping together. She would just hang out with the kids and I and with Chris. We spent a lot of time together. I felt like she needed a friend. She had told me that she came from a horrible family and that she wasn't close to anyone in her family. My first impressions of Jody were positive. They were good. I mean, the very first impression, you know, she had excellent eye contact and a really firm handshake. So in that moment, she's incredibly present, you know, and I was like, wow. I mean, if somebody really shakes your hand uh, firmly, particularly a woman, you know, it, it's, it stood out to me. Travis was living in Mesa, Arizona, and Jody was living in Palm Desert, California. And so our house was kind of a place where they could both come and hang out. We gave Jody a room, and we gave Travis a room. They spent weeks at our house. Travis really thought Jody was the one. She was this girl that he was going to marry, and they were going to have kids. Like, he didn't want to commit. Like, he wanted to date her and get to know her, but he really saw the potential there. They had the book, A Thousand and One Places to See Before You Die, or whatever it's called. So they're going to these places together. They're traveling. 
guess the reason I fell so in love with Travis is because he has so much potential. I fell in love with the wonderful person he is and is becoming in this process. The relationship between Travis and Jody became intimate pretty quickly. Jody was uncomfortable because she knew that Travis was Mormon. One of the lessons that we teach as missionaries when meeting with someone is basically the, the commandments and the laws of God. The law of chastity is one of those, to basically not have any sexual relations with, with anyone outside of marriage. Hi, this is Elder Alexander and Elder Boyson. How you doing? They're my favorite zone leaders. We're her favorite zone leaders. <laughs> She's lying. She's not. Something's wrong with her. Let's put it that way. <laughs> We're encouraged to date and to eventually marry someone else who shares your, your belief, who's also a member of the church. Travis, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, felt like sharing the gospel with Jody was something that would help her life and bless her life. She told us that she believed in God, that she had a faith, but to that point she didn't really have a strong um, background in a particular religion. Travis and I are going to Park City tomorrow. I give thanks to the Holy Father each day that he has come into my life and that we're weaving together a beautiful tapestry that has the potential to metaphorically represent our life together, our work of art, co-created by two artists who know what it means to live all the days of our lives. We would always leave Jody with things to read in the Book of Mormon, in the Bible. We would leave her with questions that those chapters would help answer. She would ask us questions that let me know as a missionary that she was reading. We were really impressed with her and her progression and felt like she was really sincere in learning about the church. And so we were able to, to move forward with, with her baptism. Christ is the truest hero. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is amazing. Jody had informed us that she had called and asked Travis if he would be willing to baptize her and said that Travis would. When someone is baptized, it is a really amazing experience. We get together at the church and we, we sing songs, we have prayers, we, we give little sermons or speeches, talks about the gospel, and then the ordinance of baptism itself is performed. One other time I felt very spiritually connected was when he baptized me. The Spirit was so strong that day. I felt connected to the Holy Ghost and with every witness in that room.
it hadn't been long that I had known Jody when Travis had mentioned to me, Jody, Jody says you're her best friend. And I said, what do you mean? I hardly know her. And he had told me that she told him that I was her best friend. And I said, Travis, well, don't you think that's kind of strange? So Jody was this person, this entity that's forcing herself in our world. And suddenly Sky is her best friend, you know, like Sky and I talked about that and we're like, that's creepy. Travis and I would have discussions or arguments, if you want to call them arguments, about Jody because Jody was so in love and smitten with Travis. And Travis was just kind of getting to know her and dabbling. But she would think that, you know, they were ready to get married and he wasn't there. So I would always hear Jody's complaining and crying and being upset about Travis's lack of committing. And I told Travis, like, you either need to commit or move on because it's really upsetting her. Well, both Sky and I, we're on the same page on all this stuff. It's like, look, Jody, cry me a freaking river. If you don't like how he's treating you, if you don't like that he won't commit to you, leave him, you know, stop going out with him, stop talking to him. And she's like, but I just want him to commit. And why won't he commit? About four or five months into Travis and Jody's relationship, myself and others started noticing that Jody was having some very disturbing behaviors. She began following him to the bathroom, listening in on his conversations. She went through his email and forwarded every email that was to or from a girl. She forwarded it to herself so she could read them. But so after seeing some of these things, what happened was that brought all of this to a head was that Travis and I are in my office. My, my cell phone is face up right in front of me. Travis is standing right here. And Sky texts me something like, she's driving me crazy, get her out of here. Well, I look down, I see it, I grab it, I flip it over and I'm just like, oh gosh, it was so awkward. And he said, I saw, I, I read that text. And I said, uh, Sky, you and me, the three of us, we need to have a talk. So that night, Jody actually went to bed early. Travis comes up to mine and Chris's room and we all sit on our bed and, and I start telling him these things I noticed. Travis is just baffled and he just doesn't see it. We're sitting on my bed having this conversation and I just get this yucky, dark feeling. And I look at them and I said, I mouth to them, she's out there. And Travis goes, she's not. Travis steps off the bed really quietly and jerks open the door and she's standing right there. He's, he just looks at her and she goes, is there a problem or is something wrong? And he goes, yes, something's wrong. And he says, I'll be down to talk to you shortly. And he came back in the room. I said, Travis, I'm afraid we're gonna find you chopped up in her freezer. 
like she's crazy. Investigators are stumped over who killed Travis Alexander in his bedroom last week. His friends found the 30-year-old inside his 3,700-square-foot home in Mesa on Monday after they hadn't heard from him in several days. Investigators tell us they believe Alexander... My name is Richard Van Galder, Jr. Uh, in 2008, I was a sergeant over the homicide unit. While we were processing the scene, and obviously now the word's getting out to Travis's friends and that Travis has been killed. Some of the friends had approached the detective saying, you need to look at this girl named Jody Arias. We called the investigator and said, Jody did it. You know, I don't, I, I don't care who you have, on your list, go get Jody Arias. She did this. Detective, you are still under oath. Do you understand? Yes, I do. Your name, please? Esteban Flores. Well, thanks for coming down. It, the reason we're here, obviously, is to talk about Travis and Jody. When I told my brother and another guy that Travis really looked up to, these guys are really successful in business, and we told them, that Travis was dead, they both, both of them immediately said it was that blonde chick with the crazy eyes. And they didn't even know her. They just met her on occasion. And so... Do you believe she's absolutely capable of doing it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, as soon as we heard, we were laying in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. I told Sky, Jody did this. I believe some of his friends were not big fans of Jody Arias. Are you guys still at the same address? No, we moved. But we had nothing to show that she was involved at that time. Juan Martinez, and uh, I was the prosecutor in the case of State versus Jody Arias. And this was going to be part of your vacation, right? Road trip, yes. The road trip was your vacation, right? Um, it was partially vacation, partially a business trip. During the search of Travis Alexander's house, there was a camera that was found in the washing machine. When they looked at it, though, they were able to see that it had a memory card. Fortunately, they were able to develop three sets of photographs 
from that. The first set of photographs was taken on June 4th, and that set of photographs showed Travis Alexander still alive, and they also showed another individual, a woman, Jody Arias. But one of the stories that she told was that she actually took a road trip about the time that Travis was killed. She only spoke to him via telephone. It was important in the sense that now there's an obvious lie that she has told. One of the pictures is this one where she is laying back in a repose sort of view. He's obviously in the same bed that she has been photographed in, and obviously she's the one taking the photographs because of the time. There was a second set of photographs that the police were able to recover from that memory card, and the person that clearly is taking these photographs is Jody Arias. There was a third set of photographs that was taken, and this set were accidental or unintentional. So this is a photo of Travis timestamp June 4, 2008 at 5.30 and 30.00 p.m. There doesn't appear to be any blood. So there's no blood in the shower. There doesn't appear to be any blood on his body. Second photograph, the camera got dropped, and it went off. It was upside down. It was very dark, and so they had to continually try to lighten the photograph. This is actually one of the more telling ones because he's between the hallway and the bedroom. And he's laying down on his back, and you can see his right arm, and you can see blood on the tile, blood on Travis running from his neck. The last photograph, you see actually the trim from the hallway, and then you see Travis Alexander's back, and it shows the bleeding. So here, you know, you have the picture at 5.30.30, and then you have this one, and then at 5.32.16, you have the picture where it's obviously Travis bleeding severely from his neck. So, I mean, you have a minute and 45-second window. So now what transpired in that minute and 45? We know that she has denied that she was even there that day. We know at that point that Jody Arias is the person that was there at the time that he was killed. Detective Forrest and I talked. A decision was made to charge this case. In other words, arrest Jody Arias. Travis's case ever since it happened. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I came here. Because I believe that you know some of these details. 
I think you can help us. I would love to help you in any way that I can. Detective Flores from Mesa, Arizona was the um, detective in charge of the case. It wasn't uh, confrontational and you did this, didn't you, sort of interview. The Detective Bureau has a very small interview room, has a microphone and it has a camera that allows the detective team to be watching it from another room over. While they're watching the interview, they can come up with maybe additional questions or a different angle or feed that detective a tip that might help. You took a trip to Salt Lake City. I'm not sure what we talked about. Oh, this year? I'm yes. I'm thinking back. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that uh, Jody Arias told Detective Flores was that she decided to take this road trip to go to Utah. I was supposed to get on the 15 and go all the way up. And I somehow got off the 15. Where did you get that? Um, for a while I was lost and I'm not above sleeping in the car, so I slept for a while. I'm a heavy sleeper and I sleep a lot. She indicated that she got lost for about 24 hours. And then that accounts for the time that she uh, couldn't pinpoint where she was. Were you in Travis's house on Wednesday? Absolutely not. I was, I was nowhere near Mesa. I was nowhere near no. Phoenix. <sighs> I wasn't even close to him. Um, what if I can show you a clip here? Oh, that changed your mind. I was not at Travis's house. I was not. You were at Travis's house. You guys had a sexual encounter, which there's pictures. I know you know there's pictures because I have them. Okay. So, what I'm asking is for you to be honest with me. I know you were there. Are you sure those pictures aren't from another time? Possibly. Absolutely positive. Are you sure it's me? I mean, because I was not there. The only time that he was actually able to start to get some information from her was when he was able to show her the photographs of her and Travis Alexander. That's you. They wanted to cover you up. That's you. All of you. That looks like me. You'll probably be taken across the street to the county jail. Uh, you'll be processed through there. You'll be set in front of a judge at least for 24 hours. 
There's a warrant for your arrest. And the bond is $2 million. Oh, um, is this is a really trivial question, and it's going to reveal how shallow I am. <laughs> but before they book me, can I clean myself up a little bit? You're going to be taken for the way you are. I can't give you anything else. After that interview that day, Jody was returned to the Siskiyou County Jail. Detective Flores interacted mostly with Jody's parents. They did come in, I believe, for some questioning or an interview. It's like uh, she hasn't been in a good situation in a while. But, uh, yeah, it's been bad. It's Travis guy gets to hold her off quite a bit. As far as I know, but I do know that uh, one day when she, she called me crying hysterically and she decided moved to Mesa, Arizona. She snuck up at his house, and she looked in the window, and she saw him there on the couch with another woman. And here they, she was planning on marrying this guy. So she just left. I know that they were not happy at all about her arrest. They were quite angry. I believe the father was very angry about the arrest. But again, this was their daughter that had been arrested for murder, so it would be understandable. Oh. So it's, Why would she do something like that? I don't know. And, and that's what I was trying to... She just snapped to... and went, oh, no, and then how could she get back here? And he's normal. And then when she, her friends called her and told her that he died, she totally freaked out. Like, she knew nothing about it. I mean, how could somebody do that? How? I can't, I can't even... can't think of it. How anybody could do that. And, and that's why I wanted her explanation. She just absolutely refused to, to tell me the truth. Detective Flores asked me if I would be willing to interview Jody a second time. So I contacted her at the jail the next day. You're not going to give us any problems being out of the cuffs. Mm -hmm. really don't look like the types of words. I was using a specific technique in my interview. I was trying to walk Jody down any path that she wanted to choose so that we could lock her into a story. There's no question in my mind or any of the other investigators' mind um, that you were the person that took Travis's life. But what I need to know, what I'd like to know, and give you the opportunity to do, is determine whether, you know, you're a a cold-blooded, cold-hearted um, murderer who slaughtered this guy, or are you somebody that got caught up in circumstances and things got out of control? If she can stick to a story or change a story, then as an investigator, we can go back and either prove or disprove that story. Or do you want to be portrayed as a person that doesn't care about anybody or anything? You know, of course, I don't want to be portrayed as a cold-blooded murderer. That's, I believe that. Jody did eventually open up, but it was hard getting that information from her. It was hard to find Jody's soft spot. <laughs> Do you 
Where did things go wrong, Jody? When I was asking Jody whether she felt the family needed closure, the family would want some answers. At that time, Jody broke down and started crying, and she gave me what I would consider some partial admissions. Is this something that you wish you could take back? Wish I could change it. But in the meantime, you can let them know what happened. The facts of what happened. I don't have all the details. What details do you have? I interviewed Jody for hours, and then Detective Flores joined me for the last portion of my interview which actually it, it turned out to be a very good ending because she had changed her story again. Since I wrote, I didn't tell you. Tell you everything I know or that I remember. Okay. What do you remember? From the time you were taking the pictures, the time you left. Um, I did call Travis and I said, guess what? And he said, what? I said, I'm coming to Arizona tonight. And there was silence and he goes, really? And I said, yeah. So I showed up and he was watching me too. I told him I was tired, I think, because I, I don't know what he was, what his intentions were, or what he thought my intentions were at the time, he didn't do anything, but I was very exhausted from the trip and I just said, I think I'm just gonna sleep and go out so that's fine. And we must have slept till about about one o'clock. Yeah, we um had sex a couple of times. Once was in his bed and once was again downstairs in his office. I asked him if I could do pictures in the shower, and he's like, no. <laughs> I was like, I just have an idea. So you were taking pictures and showing them? Yeah, yeah. What happened when the last picture was taken? He was kneeling down in the shower. I was like right here, taking pictures. And I don't really know what happened after that exactly, except I think he was shot. As she's taking these pictures, she doesn't hear anything, but she feels uh, a strike. And I was like, 
was like, are you okay? What's going on? What's going on? He's like, go get help. Go get help. And I said, okay. And I turned around. There's two people there. She sees these two individuals, a man and a woman. And the man and the woman are, she doesn't know anything about them other than that they are wearing ski masks. And uh, so she really can't identify them. He, um, he got my registration out from my wallet. He said, you must be that bitch from California. He said, you ever, ever, ever say anything about this? He said, they'll do to my family same way. She is able to somehow run out, able to pick up her purse, able to pick up all her belongings, and is able to make her way down and into the car and leave. It just doesn't make any sense with the evidence that was there at the house. I think every, almost every defendant is not truthful with police when they're first arrested because there's always that hope that maybe maybe I can get out of it. I think it's self-preservation. I think it's kind of standard for most defendants. Okay, you ready to go? The reason why she first didn't tell the truth about what happened that day is because she would have had to then explain the relationship between her and Travis and the things that Travis did. And she never wanted that information to come out. It is a case of love, sex, lies, and murder, and it's riveting people across this country. Jody Arias admits she killed her sometimes boyfriend, Travis Alexander. She says it was self-defense. Prosecutor calls her a liar and a killer. The jury can acquit her or convict her of murder or manslaughter. Jody Arias killed Travis Alexander. There is no question about it. The million dollar question is what would have forced her to do it? Well, by the time I came on board, she had started to tell what actually had happened that night. I don't think she knew how to make a legal claim, so I don't know that Jody actually knew to say it was self-defense. She was just describing to us what happened, and based on what she was telling us, it sounded an awful like it started as self-defense and um, might have gone too far after that. Did you kill Travis Alexander on June 4th, 2008? Yes, I did. Why? Um, the simple answer is that he attacked me and I defended myself. Thursday, August 2nd, 2007. I love him. I could not possibly love him not, though I wish I could stop, turn it off like a light switch. Duct tape it down so it can't turn back on. Or better yet, just cut the circuit, cut off its life source, make it dead in a second. Lifeless.
Jody discovered that Travis was not faithful to her. They had a technical breakup, but they never stopped seeing each other. They never stopped talking to each other. They certainly never stopped sleeping together. You know, Travis would date other people, and Jody was basically kept on the side. Personally, I think Jody's real appeal down the road with Travis was the sexual relationship that they were having, you know? Staying chaste was the, probably one of his biggest challenges. It was definitely a huge struggle for him. There were other women that Travis would talk to, and it did get sexual. Please help me welcome to the front of the room, Mr. Travis Alexander. When I first started training and things like that, you can imagine uh, the first thing I would hear a lot of is, by the way, he's single. And, uh, and, and I'd be like, that's right, I am. Maybe he's going to get me. And, uh, that's been going on for six years. I mean, at the trial, and they're all portraying him as almost like a saint, you know, a perfect Mormon man. It turns out from the records and what we reviewed is he really did have a double life. Hey, right here, stand up. Oh. You're next, baby. I'm now holding a big packet of information, probably near 15 pages, of text messages between Travis and other women going back uh, some time. This particular one, he says... Okay, you want to rip my clothes off. I'm just wondering how my stamina would be for my first penetration situation. So another example, this is with a, a, an entirely different woman. I like how you seductively open your mouth in pictures. It turns me on. Send me a pic. This is a, a, another woman again toward the end of April. So we have all these things occurring in the same time frame. Travis says, thinking of you, oh gosh, you are making me even hornier now. I'm about to burst. Travis exploded at me over the tiniest thing and later apologized. It wasn't entirely his fault. It never is. Inside, I'm in a really bad state. I walk around like it's all okay, but I'm a shadow of what I once was. It was always difficult to get Jody to open up and talk about previous abuse. We spent many, many a time talking about, did this happen, did this happen, did this happen? And she would say, yes, that happened. And we would, Maria and I would be there together with her saying, but Jody, that's wrong. That's abusive. And she's like, do you really think so? What did he say to you on 52608? He called me, well, he said I look like a pure whore. What other things do you recall him calling you during that conversation? He calls me a bitch. He tells me I'm worthless, and he tells me I'm shit. Emotional and verbal abuse. That is ongoing almost the entire relationship. How do we know? We have the information. We have thousands of G-chats and texts and emails where 
He is berating her, insulting her. He rants and raves, calling her all sorts of names. He calls her a bitch. He calls her a three-hole wonder, a whore, and a lot of four-letter words throughout this. Almost the entire thing is him yelling at her, putting her down, verbally abusing, emotionally abusing, talking how worthless she is. You mentioned him grabbing your wrists at a conference. Had he been physically abusive with you before March of 2008? Yes, he was physically abusive. And he body slammed me on the floor at the foot of his bed. He called me a bitch and kicked me in the ribs. And that hurt for real. But he went to kick me again, and I put my hand out and to block his foot, and it clipped my hand and hit my finger. Did you seek medical attention for this injury? No, I didn't. Why not? I was worried that, like, maybe the police would get involved. Is that injury still visible on you today? Um, I think so. It's crooked. Could you hold up your hand? For us, so we can see. Your finger, hold it up, Jody, if you can. There was no evidence of any abuse by Travis Alexander. There were no police reports in which she had turned him in to the police. There were no uh, medical reports or medical uh, personnel who came in who said, yes, she had these bruises or this sort of thing. With regard to that supposed injury that you claim that you received, you didn't call the police, did you? No. You didn't tell anybody about it, right? Mm-mm, no. Um, you, there is no corroboration anywhere, including your journal, that it even happened, right? That's right. So I'm looking at uh, the GTAP that occurs on May 26, 2008. This is after Jody had moved to California. She had separated from Travis. She had done her best to get away. It starts with Travis texting her, don't freaking ignore me. Jody's telling him that I'm emailing you. You can see the jealousy from Mr. Alexander. He tells Jody, you were flirting with him and you know better. I think what's very telling is Jody's immediate response. Oh, like you, I flirt, but it's harmless. It means nothing. And Travis responds, I have never dealt with the more solid form of evil. I mean, honestly, who says that? What kind of person says that to another person? It's just cruel. And these are two people that are supposedly broken up, that Jody has moved to California, and yet Travis is displaying this level of jealousy towards her. This is May 26th, so this is just nine days before she ends up in Travis's house. You constantly see Jody backing down. You constantly see her apologizing. And there is a formidable power of jealousy and cruelty coming from Travis. Monday, May 26th, 2008. I've somehow managed to become his whipping girl, and we're both addicted to it. It's the same pattern as always. He gets pissed off, goes off on me, feels bad, we make up, things are mellow for a few days. 
And then the cycle begins again. I've learned that it's better just to let it run its course. Yes, Travis. You're right, Travis. Whatever you say, Travis. This is where Travis Alexander was killed. I have never been here. It's it's really strange and it's really overwhelming. Judy testified that she arrived and was greeted warmly by Travis. She said that she was tired from the drive, so they go to bed and fall asleep. You said you slept in his bedroom. Did you both sleep on his bed? Yes. Do you remember who woke up first? I woke up around 12, 12.30 and laid there for a while because he was still sleeping. When he woke up, what did you and Mr. Alexander do? We engaged in sex. Travis had the idea of tying up Jody. He had some rope in the shower and he had a knife with him, so he cut the rope because it was a little bit long. He tied up Jody and they had sex. They also took photographs of one another. And as far as engaging in this photo session that day, whose suggestion was it? I think I threw it out there that day. It's something he had been wanting to do. Jody says the couple then tried to look at photographs on the computer in Travis's office downstairs, but the disk was scratched, and so they weren't able to look at them. Travis was angry and blamed Jody. You were saying he was getting mad. How were you assessing that he was angry? He opened the CD and he picked it up and he flung it at the wall. Jody didn't want him to be angry because she wanted to finish the trip in a good note. She wanted to leave happy. She didn't want any issues on that day. So she agreed to have sex with him. After Travis and Jody finished having sex, she offered to take pictures of him. Why was the shower area selected? It was selected for the water. We were going for a certain effect with the pictures and the water. Tell us what happens once he gets in the shower. I'm taking pictures of him. We were trying out different poses. Travis is posing for her when the steam causes her to lose the camera. Jody backs down because he's afraid now and Travis stops and looks at her and starts shouting at her. Travis flipped out and he stood up and he stepped out of the shower and he picked me up. I was crouching, but he lifted me up as he was screaming that I was a stupid idiot and he body slammed me on the tile. And she runs into the closet. Jody's trying to run out the room, but Travis is behind her. She remembers that Travis kept a gun up in the shelf 
He grabbed the gun. I ran out of the closet. He was chasing me. I turned around. We were in the middle of the bathroom. Pointed it at him with both of my hands. I thought that would stop him. Travis, close down. Lounges at her. Like a linebacker, he got kind of low and grabbed my waist. Judy doesn't realize that she has her finger on the trigger. As he was lunging at me, the gun went off. After that, Jody does not remember. The next thing that she can remember is waking up in the middle of the desert. If somebody is experiencing extreme trauma that could be overwhelming, the brain looks for how do we survive. Now, focusing on Jody, one of her major coping mechanisms is indeed dissociation. Even friends and other relatives talked about her spacing out at a young age. Jody had a very strong, detailed memory. However, the particular times that she was under extreme trauma, that's when she had more difficulty with detail. So there's like gaps. There is like a huge gap. Like, I don't know if I blacked out or what. There's a huge gap. And there, the most clear memory that I have after that point is driving in the desert. Do you remember stabbing Travis Alexander? I have no memory of stabbing him. As we see here in Exhibit 162, do you remember dragging him across the floor? Oh. I just remember trying to get away from him. Showing you exhibit 73. Do you remember placing him in the shower? That, sorry, that's no. scene itself is interesting when you look at it for purely purely evidentiary reasons when you look at the crime scene in terms of self-defense versus first-degree murder premeditated it was extremely messy Jody's hair her blood her DNA everything was there so not well planned out for a smart girl the fact that how messy it is actually supports a crime of passion far more than it supports premeditation. Had she planned to kill him, why not do it immediately upon walking in? Why not catch him by surprise? Much less go upstairs, have sex with him, allow pictures to be taken, you know, and then end up having to stab him when all along you had this hidden gun.
Arizona jury must decide between murder or self-defense in the Jody Arias murder trial. The jury is deliberating today after listening to four months of testimony about the couple's affair. As we're getting closer to the verdict and the jury coming back, the media frenzy was unbelievable. Justice for Travis. People were siding, you know, taking sides, and then a lot of uh, social media. Yeah, you felt it. You felt it within the family, and it was tense. We have Martinez taking pictures with the fans or with the public, uh, signing autographs. We weren't allowed to really go out and wander around the streets because we were the bad people. I believe the prosecution was very successful on painting a bad picture of Jody. What are you trying to say? Am I allowed to tell you what I'm trying to say? I want to know whether or not you enjoyed it. Stabbing him 27 times, slitting his throat from ear to ear, and shooting him. One thing that did come out is she is definitely a liar and had to admit that many times on the stand. I think she's repugnant. You told us uh, yesterday that you were monogamous with Mr. Alexander, right? He painted her as a seductress, as somebody who pushed Travis into having a sexual relationship when he was a nice Mormon virgin man. This is you sending him this text message, right? Yes. And in it, you say, mm, if you're a lucky boy and you promise to give me a good, well-deserved spanking, and then you also say, maybe you could give my ass a much-needed pounding, too. Kidding, correct? Yes. Gruesome, sexy, bizarre. A narcissist. She's just a liar. She's a deviant. I think she's evil. He had access to the media. He played this case in the media. That's the picture they got out there about Jody. Bill and Sandy never turned their back on Jody ever. Even with the media going up against them, they always were there. They loved their daughter, regardless of what happened. I think it affected the jurors. None of them would admit it, but I don't see how they couldn't have been affected, how they couldn't have seen the people outside. Every single billboard on the side of the freeway was an advertisement for the Arias trial. And of course, the picture of Jody in the billboard made her look scary. I do think the, the crime was horrible, and I don't want to downplay what had happened. But I do think if it was the opposite way, would have gotten the same, the same media. I don't know. I believe the misogyny play a big role in this case. People are quick to judge uh, a woman who's sexually active. A male is always given a pass. It's always accepted. It's okay because it's just a man. Unfortunately, that's part of what uh, made people hate Jody. The record will show the presence of the jury, the defendant, and all counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, I understand you have reached a verdict. The verdict form has Waiting for the verdict, there was just this tense feeling, both inside and outside the courthouse. Juror number 13, is this your true verdict? Yes. 
your number 14? Is this your Everybody was talking about it. And it just, I mean, the anxiety and the just intensity of the environment was, you could physically feel it. I was encouraging Jody to be strong. And no matter what happened, just, just be strong. And she asked me, she just asked why. The state of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, verdict count one. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as to count one, first degree murder, guilty. We are at recess. She almost passed out. Um, I was right next to her. Is this your true verdict? So say you want it all? It was just, she was just very upset. There's always the question, you know, do you feel vindicated? Are you happy? I don't think that I would describe it as that I was happy that there was a guilty verdict. I think it's just, I didn't have to feel that much more pain if it had gone another way. There isn't any sense of joy that, that most people would say, and let me clench my fist and do a chest pounding kind of thing. I, I'm just, I just sort of see myself as a, a conduit to the truth. As to whether or not uh, she was believable on the stand, obviously she wasn't. The jury rejected her claim and found her guilty. And now the trial moves into the penalty phase. The state must attempt to prove to the jury that Jody Arias' crime deserves a death sentence. At this point, Jody was terrified. She went in through a severe depression. She couldn't believe that this had happened to, the, to her. She couldn't believe that now her life was on the line. She started to realize that she could die. How I wish I could go back to my age of innocence. Go back to my guiltless, carefree childhood. Have my life not filled with chaos and corruption. State of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias, sentencing verdict. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled action upon our oaths, unanimously find, having considered all of the facts and circumstances, that the defendant should be sentenced. You know, no unanimous agreement. Signed, poor person. I think I want anyone to die. So we were, they were real relieved. I know my mom was uh, relieved that she, she didn't get the death sentence. Mainly for the parents, mainly for Sandy and Bill. Also the parents of the one lost suffered the most because they're the ones living, having to deal with 
the loss of their son. The prosecution did a great job of showing that Travis didn't abuse her, and the defense failed in proving that he was an abusive person. Whether somebody likes it or not, it's the law. It was a death penalty case. I believe she deserved the death penalty. I know that many people believe that Jody deserves the death penalty because she killed another human being, but that is not justice. That is revenge. In our field, we do not believe that a life for a life is what heals a person. That doesn't bring closure to anyone. I think Jody killed him because she was afraid for her life. It was either gonna be her or him. I always say that if Jody was not my client, Travis easily could have been my client. Had Jody been the one to end up dead that day, <laughs> I would have had a really hard time defending Travis. The state would have had all of this evidence of these G-chats and these horrible text messages and the jealousy and the control and the cheating. They would have had all of that information and they would have used it against him to try and prove that he's the one that killed Jody. And I think that it would have been fairly convincing. Mr. Martinez and Kirk Nurmi were this bar, which is unprecedented. I never seen this happen before. Nurmi wrote a book. In that book, he shared a lot of confidential information, and ultimately, he lost his license. Mr. Martinez was accused of having a sexual relationship with a blogger. There was also allegations that he's sharing privileged information with her about the case. The verdict in the case was that Jody Arias uh, killed Travis Alexander with premeditation, so she was found guilty of first-degree murder. So no matter how often they want to point the finger at me, please go ahead and point the finger at me. That doesn't take away from what she did. Right now she's housed in Perryville Prison. I think Jody has a shot at getting a new trial for a number of different reasons. I have no doubt in my mind that the media affected the trial and that Jody received an unfair trial because of it. Our witnesses were threatened. I was threatened. Maria was threatened. Kirk was threatened. You know, we, we had information to confirm and back up the things that Jody was saying, but we couldn't get witnesses to come in and testify. You know, there is some hope that on appeal, the courts will see how unfair of a trial that she had and remand it so that she gets another chance for another trial. Five things I'm grateful for. One, babies. Two, pizza. Three, the shape of my body. Four, my hair. Five, Travis Alexander. <laughs> <laughs>